0: I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's a special morning for me, as you can tell. Three of my four girls are joining me, so this is wonderful. If you're able, I invite you to stand and join us in singing. is found in Psalm 145 I'll read verses 1 to 7 I will exalt you my God the King I will praise your name forever and ever every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever great is the Lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom one generation commends your works to another They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. prayer God, you've blessed us beyond measure and been so good to us even though we are so undeserving. We say thank you and offer ourselves in worship. May our words, our actions, and our gifts of money be used to build your kingdom. Amen. I'm going to be reading scripture this morning from a few different portions. I think the words or the verses are behind you there, the texts at least. Um, We'll start with Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then verses from Proverbs. My son, And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you.
1: (laughs) Praise to the Lord the Almighty.
2: been good to worship together so far and to hear the reading of God's Word. And now we're continuing to worship by talking about our community life together, announcements and prayer. All right, looking forward next Sunday to our baptism during the service. And so we'll be praying for Isabel and Sarah as they prepare for that. And of course, also... Uh, Davis and Amber preparing for their wedding on Saturday. And so, Amber and Davis have chosen to proclaim the bands. The bands are where we announce in this, their home church, their intent to be wed. Amber Durda of McGregor and Davis Wright of McGregor intend to be married on July 15th, 2023. If any of you know of a reason why they shouldn't, you have until the day of their wedding to tell either the couple or Pastor Russell. If you have no objection, you are encouraged to show your support to the happy couple. And speaking of happy couples, Naomi Suwatsky is uh, getting married and there is a bridal shower planned for her on July 18th at Bethany's. And that's usually just the ladies, but there is something for all of us on Sunday evening, July 23rd. Come to the back of the church here and we'll have a fire and uh, some sharing time together. And then there are different opportunities for you to serve, and those are listed there in your your bulletin. And one announcement specifically for kids this morning, there are doodle sheets in the back. So if... uh, Oh, sorry, that's an announcement for the parents, maybe more. Anyway, those are available. We also want to uh, make note that Tyler Giesbrecht is in the hospital in Winnipeg. So that's Dorothy's son. He has recently been diagnosed with leukemia, so he has a long road ahead. Bradley has a microphone if you want to share anything else that's uh, needing announcing or prayer. So just lift your hand and you can say that to the rest of us. Bethany has something.
0: Just to specify something about Naomi's shower, because she lives in B.C. and then she'll be moving to the United States, please don't bring a physical gift. It's way too much to bring on an airplane back home, so she would prefer just money or gift cards, and that will much easier, more easily fit in a carry-on suitcase. Okay, so no presents, just money or gift cards, please. Thank you.
3: Probably the majority of you know that my sister Alma passed away last
0: Tuesday morning. Just pray for the family. Yeah.
2: All right. There, of course, is much more that we could share of what's going on in our lives. But the way I'm going to pray this morning is going to leave you spaces for your own prayers in silence. So I'll kind of suggest some categories as part of the prayer, and then you can fill in the blanks in your own heart. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, by faith we believe that you exist, and that you are powerful, and that you are good, and that you hear us. We know you care about us, and you invite us to cast our cares on you, to unload our heaviness on you. And we also intercede for others, knowing that you will get the glory for the way you help them through our prayers. So we pray this morning, as your word instructs us, for our political and cultural leaders. Give your wisdom to our Reeve Ed Hepner, Premier Heather Stephenson, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and King Charles III. We pray for our own MLA and our MP, for those who make decisions that influence us in the mass media, in the local community, We pray for our church leaders. Give your wisdom and insight and courage to the board and ministerial of this congregation, to Pastor Russell, to the national staff at the EMC office, including our incoming executive director, Emery Plett. We pray for the leadership of other local churches and of all the many ministries that are para-church, working alongside the church in specialized ways. We pray for... Gospel proclamation. We pray for our own witness in this community to be winsome and effective. We pray for the work of our conference missionaries and the many meaningful ministries that bring help and hope in the name of Christ. And we bring you our joys and sorrows. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We rejoice with brides and grooms, with those preparing for baptism, for those enjoying safe travels, for those doing well in their work. And we sorrow with those who are struggling, with the sick, for Tyler and others that we're thinking of. We sorrow with those who are grieving, Tina and the rest of Elma's family. And we pray with those who are struggling with all kinds of difficulties of life, mental illness, spiritual oppression, family conflict, depression, loneliness, dementia, underemployment, and all the other things that we're thinking of now. We love you, we trust you, and we look to you to guide and empower us Thank you for hearing our prayers and for working way ahead of us. We look forward to seeing all the results of your beautiful plans in the kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We are welcoming Abe Jansen to our pulpit this morning. And Abe worked for many years with the Mennonite Central Committee among low German-speaking folks in various places, including South America. And he currently does some work with Canadian Food Grains Bank. Again, to connect with low German-speaking Mennonites in Alberta, of whom there are at least 50,000. Abe and Kathy are members at Abbeydale Christian Fellowship, which is an EMC church in Calgary which is celebrating its 50th in two years. And of course, there's another connection for us here because Abe and Kathy are grandparents to Adrian and Sean's kids, Joshua, Olivia, Natalie, and Alexa. And of course, many of us got to see Kathy doing her work at the care center for a number of years, a number of years back. So welcome back, Abe, and may God bless you as you speak to us.
3: Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to speak here at McGregor EMC. As David said, we have uh, Joshua and Olivia, Natalie, Alexa, and their mom and dad here, but we also feel a connection to McGregor EMC. If you had uh, such a thing as an honorary membership, we would want to be on your list. I think. So the other day, Tony Peters said, "25 minutes tops," <laughs> and Tammy reminded me in a written note, "30 minutes tops." And Russell never said anything. Uh, Adrian, and Sean, Adrian and Sean said, "20 minutes is even better," and. Uh, So I think there's a stopwatch that's going to go off, right? Or a trapdoor that goes off. But, oh, the girls are, oh, there they are. They said they would give me a little signal at 20 minutes so that I know that it's time to wind up. So we'll see how that goes. It's now 19 minutes after. I have exactly five pages, so you can count them down as we go. Uh, So when your committee asked if I would speak today, I started to think about chaos, not because of you, but because of a trip that I had made just before that to Two Hills, Alberta. Does anybody know anything about Two Hills? It's one of you do. Mr. Bickert, there's a a bunch of low German Mennonites living in Two Hills. They're everywhere in Alberta. They're taking it over, in case you're wondering. But anyway, a group of people from Edmonton, from the Mennonite Brethren Church, had asked if I would take them to meet some of those low German Mennonites. The Old Colony, the Rhinelander, and the Kleine Those are three different churches. They all came out of the Old Colony. You know all about this. And so they've newly settled in Two Hills, and while we more evangelical and more progressive, maybe Mennonites sometimes show our impatience with our more conservative brothers and sisters, it struck me during our one-day visit and our conversation with, with them that they know something about chaos and stability. They have a long history of migration. Europe to Prussia, to Russia, to Canada, to Paraguay and Mexico, and back to Canada, many of them, and 20 years ago, some from southern Alberta to Two Hills, which is just east of Edmonton. Imagine the chaos every move, every start from scratch creates, especially for the mothers and the kids in all those years of migration. Living in villages helps. I'm sure that's why they have such a long history of living in colonies and villages In the southern countries, in Canada, we don't allow that anymore. So they have to find other ways to find their security or their stability. It's about order for them. Building churches and schools helps. It's about creating a place, a routine, around which the chaos can sort itself out. So that visit is what made me think about talking about chaos and stability this morning. Olivia has a Bible and on top, in the front of her Bible, I noticed this morning, it says, The Compass and Anchor for Life. And that is really what the Bible does for most of us, but there are all these other things that contribute to stability or chaos in our lives. The Catholic Church knows a lot about this. There isn't a town in South America that doesn't have a Catholic Church on the main square. It's partly how they conquered the continent, but it's also about stability, creating places to which people can retreat from the chaos and stress of their daily lives. We all look for our sanctuaries, our places where we find our stability. Also, it's early July. Another word for summer, for me, sometimes is chaos. Schools and jobs are about routine and order. They keep us kind of sane, even though we stress over them But really, schools and jobs are very important to the stability of our society. We look forward all year to having a long break with warm weather and relaxing days, but often it's also highly stressful. Expectations are high to do all those things we're supposed to enjoy about summer when we are finally off the clock. We rush into summer because we have so much relaxing to do. And then it's here, and there is so much that we have to do so that it becomes its own kind of chaos. Because, you know, winter is coming. There are many kinds of chaos. We keep hearing and reading about our world just not being the same as it was a few years ago. There's a restlessness. Maybe this is only in Calgary, but it feels restless. People talk about it. Some of it becomes extremism. Some of it looks like anarchy. Some of it is just cruel, the war in Ukraine, the famine in East Africa, the endless conflict in Palestine. Some of it is a cancel culture here in the West that makes us nervous about saying things or questioning anything. And then there are the gas prices and the inflation and the interest rates. It all feels a bit wobbly these days, right? We're used to some stability, maybe a little too used to some stability here in the Western world, and now it all feels a bit off. I'm no expert on chaos, but it seems kind of like the present state of things. Extremism is a form of chaos. The United States, long the country held up as a beacon of civilization and mature stability, is engaged in a culture war. If you're a Republican, you can barely acknowledge Democrats as even being human, and the other way around, it's the same. This has been going on for some time, but in recent years it just keeps becoming more extreme. This happens in our very peaceful Canada as well, where we are judged often by how strongly and firmly we hold positions on things like abortion and human rights and the freedom convoy and COVID vaccines and climate change and what kind of books we read, how we interpret the Bible and a whole list of isms. And as we all know, social media and mainstream media tend to feed all this chaos. Some chaos is right close to home, sometimes inside our own heads at 4 a.m. when we can't sleep and all our worries come flooding in at the same time. Mental chaos at 4 a.m. is exhausting. I know about this. I worry about everything. I always have. So 4 a.m. is usually my wake-up time and then I spend an hour solving all the world's problems. Sometimes also chaos is thrust upon us. Accidents happen. A three-year-old girl in Linden, Alberta was killed earlier this month when her 11-year-old sister lost control of their ATV and a truck hit them on the highway. Last month, there was a tragic accident here at Carberry. The very next week, a submersible sub the size of a minivan imploded on its way down into the North Atlantic, About the same time, and this is what doesn't hit the news as much as I think it should, about the same time a ship with over 700 migrants, half of them from Pakistan, all of them desperate to find a land where they might find hope for a better life, tipped, and most of them drowned just off the shore of Greece. Across Canada, opioid deaths are astoundingly high. It's our silent killer. In the U.S., There are more more mass shootings than there are days in the year. A mass shooting is where four or more people are shot, not including the shooter. And there have been 340 so far. That was counting three days ago. So there's probably more by now. 340 mass shootings in 2023. And in each of these tragedies, the lives of their families and friends are thrown into a chaos that most of the time people don't really recover from. A lot of the Bible is loaded with chaos. Judges is one book that's pointedly about chaos. There is the story of Gideon, which we all love. Also the story of Samson, which we know as well. But there are other people doing the strangest and even the most awful things in that book. The writer just seems to collect these stories as if they all somehow mattered. But they really don't if you read it. At least to my mind, they didn't need to be there, but they are. Maybe it's just a book about life. But several times the writer reminds us saying this. In those days, Israel had no king. They had never had one. In those days, Israel had no king. Every man did what he wanted. As if to explain what looks like one chaotic incident after another. They had no king. Everyone did whatever they wanted. Imagine MacGregor or even your church, or any of your families, if everyone just did what they wanted. Chaos, by itself, over a lengthy period of time, looks like the Book of Judges, I think, where everyone just does what they want. But it doesn't work. We just become more selfish if we keep doing that. So the Matthew Matthew parable that Tammy read about a solid foundation is important. To build a firm foundation is important to all of our lives in the midst of all this chaos. Every parent knows this looking forward. Grandparents know it looking backwards, sometimes wondering what went wrong, and hopefully what also went right. This parable is not about having a bank account, I'm pretty sure, helpful as that is. It's also not about having all the right rules, nor even about having all the accepted biblical interpretations and obsessing over them. No, it's about having a sense of how to live a healthy life whether we are poor or wealthy. In short, it's about the holy spirit of wisdom that Tammy read about in Proverbs right after that parable. And the verses in Proverbs are about that. In fact, they are likely to be likely the key to building that house on the rock. Proverbs is all about searching for wisdom and truly I'm convinced that if you are searching, it actually means that you have found or are finding. The important thing is to be looking for it. Think of any two people. One is looking for wisdom. That person is already different and much more centered and stable than the one who isn't looking at all or who arrogantly thinks he or she has already found wisdom. Wisdom and stability, more than anything, come not from knowing, but from searching. It's a paradox, but I'm sure that's how it works. Look for it as for silver, but it doesn't say anything about needing to find the silver. You're just supposed to look for it, and that is where we find our wisdom. It's in the search. It's not in the finding. Because if we think we've found it, we haven't. So what do you think of when you think of chaos? I asked half a dozen people, and they all sent me very quick responses. <clears throat> And most of them were very helpful. About God creating a place for us out of chaos. About walking away from chaos. About fixing it, that's usually me. About even embracing it. My own reaction to chaos is usually, let's quickly fix this and move on so that I can go back to my coffee and reading my paper and everything being okay. Chaos is threatening. We are more at peace when our routines are predictable, When war happens or earthquakes or major fires or tornadoes or sickness in the family or any other kind of turbulence, everything gets thrown out of whack and we get nervous. So we try to cope. One person writes this in her response. She says, we tend to speed up when there's chaos around us, trying to get back to normal and security as quickly as possible. I think we tried that during COVID. We tried so hard for things to be normal and it just didn't quite work. Her advice is do the opposite, slow down. If your house isn't burning, make yourself slow down. Adrian makes lists. It's a very good way to start to deal with chaos. It's a way of slowing down. It's also important to remember that there's another side to chaos. It's not all bad. In fact, chaos is actually quite good. I don't feel that in my head, I know that. My friend, who works in Alberta with the Food Grains Bank and has spent decades in other countries helping people develop better farming methods, is a reformed alcoholic and struggles with depression. He has all kinds of 4 a.m. chaos in his life. When I asked him about chaos, he said this to my surprise. He said, wildfires lead to regeneration. Canada is loaded with wildfires this summer. Chaos is a natural force of nature. We get hung up on predictability and control and things being measurable, but we actually need chaos to stimulate us into newness, he said. Jesus, he added, created chaos quite often, seemingly wherever he went. He did it by throwing new thinking into conversations and making people around him nervous because he was upsetting their understanding of the rules. It's not that Jesus went around breaking the rules. He actually didn't. He never pretended to be anything but a Jew, but he poked at how people understood their beliefs and their faith, and they killed him for that. But out of that came the resurrection. The church today comes out of the chaos of Jesus' ministry and his death and resurrection. How am I doing? Am I still good? Sorry? Slow down. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I'm under the gun here. I think <laughs> In Acts chapter 2, for example, Jesus' followers are in chaos. They're hiding, right? We all know that story, Pentecost. It's a fabulous story. They're afraid. Their leader has died and then supposedly ascended into the clouds. That's a lot of stuff to absorb. It's confusion and anxiety time. And that is when God sends them the amazing manifestation of the Holy Spirit sent as literally a pillar around which to build their story. Out of that chaos, here we are, a worldwide church community 2,000 years later. And if you read to the end of chapter 2, they have in fact settled down into a kind of routine. Routine came out of their chaos. But the memory of that story, and this is important, the memory of that story still steadies and inspires the Christian church Christian community today, 2,000 years later. And when we are most disoriented, it often helps to remember our stories. The Jewish people, the Hebrews, have built their entire history around their Exodus story. They say, we left Egypt. They don't say, those Jews left Egypt, our forefathers left Egypt. No, they say, we left Egypt. That is our Passover, that is their story. Pentecost is our story, and it creates stability for us because we know and remember where we came from. Creation itself came out of chaos. Genesis 1.1, God first created something that was formless and empty and dark over the waters. It was chaos. God, out of that, shaped and formed a place where life could happen all that we now know and learn about every day. He created an evolving, magnificent universe, or rather actually millions of universes, all of which contribute to the stability of our little place, our little planet. We hang here in space because of the forces of all this holding us and everything else in place. Saint Paul knew about chaos, Every one of his letters to the churches and individuals begins and ends with a wish for peace and grace among them. In every letter, he's dealing with some kind of chaos. He's always giving advice. Paul is a fixer. He's always giving advice and wisdom for how they could be Christian communities together, even with all their disagreements. Paul was constantly coaching, often from great distances. Someone said it like this. Paul was a fixer, kind of like Mennonite disaster services. He learned what he could, prescribed solutions, wrote letters, kept in touch. This is one way to deal with chaos. It's kind of a Mennonite thing, too. We Mennonites, we like to deal with chaos sometimes by just taking it over and fixing it already. That is one way to do it. Jesus said the same person who talked about Paul to me said Jesus was a lot less a fixer. I'd never thought of it that way, but he said Jesus only stayed with his group for three years, and then he had kind of abandoned them. I've often thought that was way too soon. He built up all their expectations, died, and then left with very few instructions, except he said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and then you'll figure it out. What kind of a Jesus was that? Except sometimes... It's important to actually not try to fix everything. Years ago, when we lived in Bolivia, and I don't know if Adrian will remember this, but Kathy will, there was a woman in our church, our little Spanish church, whose name was Wilma, and she had two little girls who, I think, had all kinds of health issues, and this woman was desperately poor, and we all knew this in the church. And on Sunday mornings, we did what you do here. We shared. People could talk about whatever they wanted to talk about in their personal lives or otherwise. And Wilma would quite often get up and she would talk at length about how difficult her life was. And one Sunday morning, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I followed her out after church and offered her some money. And she said, no, I don't want your money. And she walked off. And I thought, well, I must have offended her. And I probably did by offering something cheap like money. But I couldn't stand it. It was probably more about my discomfort with simply accompanying a person whose life was a continual chaos. And I think what she was telling me that morning was all I want is to be heard, to be able to tell my story, and then go home and keep dealing with it. So sometimes the Jesus way is just to be quiet and stay there. All of us, as communities and as individuals, need pillars around which to build our lives where we feel okay. Wilma, I think, for her, a pillar may have been that church, but it wasn't money. In the most literal and real sense, we need houses to live in. We need addresses. The most chaotic and disorienting way to live, I'm quite sure, is to be homeless with no address. Those are the basics. So what are your pillows? Sometimes our pillows are just habits. Good habits are pillars this church building and your various programs are a pillar for kids your weekly kids connect is a kind of pillar all through the winter it's a center around which the kids can build their week sometimes our pillars are another person that can be dangerous when we become too dependent on them but not always when i was a teenager i sometimes watched our dad adrian's grandfather in saskatchewan as he made decisions about farming about keeping us 11 kids healthy, relating to the neighbors, the school, local politics, church work, he was very busy. I worried that I would never find the stability and wisdom that he seemed to have. He seemed to know right from wrong, and I kind of was always guessing at right from wrong. Where did that come from, I wondered? He was involved in a lot of things. He only had a grade six education, but there was something inside his experience that seemed to guide him, And a lot of people leaned on him for most of his adult life. It comes out of proverbs. It comes out of those verses. It comes out of searching for wisdom. The fear of God comes out of the search. So what are your pillars, your go-to places when a tornado hits your living room or your supper table or your summer plans or when your mind gets the better of you at 4 o'clock in the morning? Do you run for cover or is there a way the Holy Spirit can help us create order or a new idea, a new motivation, a wisdom out of what can seem just empty and dark? Jesus had a habit of disappearing. He went to pray by himself. The Low German Mennonites hang on to many traditions in Two Hills and in Manitoba and wherever they find themselves. Their reason for those traditions is stability. I've been on some of their farms in Bolivia. They may have ten children, but each one knows their job as part of the family, and they all do them from what I've seen. I have lots of issues with some of their traditions, but those routines keep chaos from taking over. Routine helps when we can return to it even only in small ways. For some of us, our story becomes our stability, probably for all of us. For my parents and probably for most of you, it's your faith story, your belief that God is really, after all, the God who we see in the Bible. We believe that we are loved. So out of chaos comes renewal, innovation, Life, that is the way of the Holy Spirit. It has always been the way of the Holy Spirit from when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. There is no how-to manual for this, but it becomes how we live in the Spirit if we're looking for that Spirit. And when we look back, we will all see there was a pillar, there was a stability, there was a wisdom that guided us even though we may not be able to identify where it came from amen thank you very much
0: thank you abe in response to that we're going to sing the song cornerstone my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i invite you to stand if you're able and we'll sing together
2: Our benediction is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.